we named it before we read in the in the spirit of prophecy that trials are a blessing. <laughs> and then I thought, well, no one bountiful blessings. I mean, we had years of trials. <laughs> so um, it start. We started as a strawberry production, and I God really led in that. Um, but then from there, because we almost lost everything. You know, it just was not sustainable. Then we started doing winter production. And we were doing winter production and spring production. That was for a few years. And then in 2011, we launched into summer production, which is where most people who are smart start. Because <laughs> that's where it's easiest. But we, so now the farm runs um, year round. And John and I, and what's left of our family, and apprentices, we do an apprenticeship, um, run the summer, and our son Joshua also works heavily with us. He works at least part-time, half-time in the summer, and then he manages the winter production. And anything else? That's about it. Our well, older... I, I thought it would also be good to just get an I idea. did I ask already if there beginning. were any market gardeners. and. Well, but I, we didn't, just this lady back here, she kind of did the this, they planted garlic. Um, but any, seri any, any people who are, you know, seriously moving in that direction, or you're here to be convinced? That's it. <laughs> That's it. You have a want to get there. You, you have a want. Okay. Good. Well, it's a good direction. All right. So I'm going to share with you, and I'm going to try to move away this projector puts out a lot of heat. Um, why 12, whoops, I'm going to be in your way. You might want to be over here. Um, 12 reasons why we feel that Adventist families should consider market gardening as, as a life work. If you all want to move too, if I'm in your way, please feel free. So let's see. Number one, it was God's original plan, and we know that from Genesis. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So it's interesting that the first thing we hear about is that God planted it, and he put the man there. But it wasn't enough to put him there. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So, I mean, that was just where God put us to begin with. That's where I think he knew we would thrive. Um, sin took us out of the garden. The next thing was to keep the family together. Number two, to keep the family together. That starts, we believe, with the husband and wife. And I don't know how it is here in Australia. Well, I, I've gathered how it is here in Australia because some conversations that I've had already. Um, it's not that different than the U.S., Marriage is almost becoming a thing of the past, um, and that is just, I mean, what do you say about that? It's, it's a, it's a, it makes me so sad, because it's the thing that was to bring God's image in a visible way to the world. And so John and I believe that part of that is that we need to be more together with our spouse. And um, it gives us great joy. We haven't done everything right. Our kids are not perfect, 
but it gives us incredible joy to see our children taking hold of that. Our oldest is married, and her husband works for AWR, Adventist World Radio. They travel the world, but when they hired him, because it was a one position, he said, number one, I'll not travel without Kirsten because I can't do it without her. And number two, we're just committed to being together. So two and a half years of marriage, they haven't been separated for one night. They have chosen and continue to choose to be together. So you have a lot better chances as a family and as a husband and wife if you are together. And thou shalt teach them God's commandments diligently. This is the one I just shared in the other one. Okay, so I'm going to pass on that one. There's a little bit of overlap here because there just is. <laughs> but this goes deeper. Okay, the third reason is that on a farm, there is meaningful... Wow, those pictures. Do they look better to you than up here? The color looks all strange. Anyway, meaningful and necessary work. We touched on that earlier. Necessary. I'm going to tell you, we had to have the help of our children. They had to work with us in the garden. There was no other options. And it's not just for us and our family, but guess what? Any company that comes to see us, they can just enter in with us to our daily rounds of work. I mean, it's, it's a joy. You know, sometimes when you visit people, you know, the dad's off to work and the mom's off to work and you spend time in the evenings, but the farm is a wonderful place to just be together. So this picture is case in point. This is on the Bailey farm. That's Rod's youngest with my mother, um, who's 80, plenty capable to still work in the garden and wash veggies and whatever. And so we had some fun in their garden helping them. Here's some more, I think. This is my dad. He died two and a half years ago, but he was a tremendous help to us. And again, just to point out that the garden is a place where many people can come together, build memories, and work together no matter what age. This is Caleb when he was younger, and two of um, my niece's children, they live on the farm. They're not really a part of the farm, but they do live there. And um, one of the first jobs that you do on the farm when you're big enough to stand on a chair, so, I mean, our kids were all doing it when they were two, you know, stand on a chair and sift peat moss. So if you could see, they are covered with that brown peat moss. There's always work for children. This is um, packing CSA boxes, which we'll be talking a lot more about that in the marketing. Uh, but the, we have an apprentice couple. We have an apprentice family, and they had one child, and this is their, their child. And he's been, he's been an apprentice as much as his parents. If you came to the farm, he could give you a tour of the farm, and he could do it quite well at five. So, number four, practical skills. Um, the agrarian life, or market farming, farming, gives us so many practical skills. So this, on the forklift, is our oldest boy, and um, he's not farming with us anymore, 
but he's making farming possible for many, many small farms by developing tools. And I believe, no doubt, he gained the skills for what he's doing today by growing up on a farm. I'm awed at the things that he has taught himself to do. He's a self-taught man, he's 24, but um, amazing the practical things. So here are some things that you learn, industry, diligence, patience, problem solving, that's a big one, and common sense. Darren spoke of it last night. You know, young people who grow up on a farm and who embrace that lifestyle, they have a lot of common sense. They have a lot of ability. They're not daunted by big tasks. So I have one, I have two, Jonathan and, and another, our third boy, who are very mechanically minded. And they do very well. But it's interesting to me that our second boy, Joshua, who's the farmer, he doesn't like mechanics, but has this natural intuitiveness about problem solving that we've seen applied even to mechanical things, which he doesn't <coughs> really enjoy. So it's, it's um, if I could have only known what I know today, 20 years ago, I would have had a lot more peace in my homeschooling and in my parenting. But I was still a teacher at heart and didn't realize how much life on the farm would teach them. So here's more skills. This is our, our third boy, Zach. He's a mechanic. He's, uh, this is a car he had bought and he's working on. This is him, the blonde. Um, to, but he was running into some problems, so a friend came and helped him. So efficiency. John's going to be talking about efficiency. Um, you can't make it in the farming world. You can't make it in marketing if you don't learn how to really be efficient and move um, very quickly through projects and through jobs and to do things in an efficient way. Reasoning cause to effect. That's a big one for farmers. And it starts when, when kids are young. Um, it didn't take very long for our boys to understand here's a cause and effect. They planted uh, like a half acre of corn, and just when it was ripe, they decided that, well, the coons decided that they like it. I don't know if you have raccoons here, but you have something that would probably possums. like corn. Possums. Okay, our possums don't like corn, but they're all kind of similar. So the boys decided that they were going to protect their crop, and they and the dogs went out, and they were going to kind of patrol the crop. Well, the boys fell asleep, and the dogs fell asleep, and while they were sleeping, the coons made off with their crop. So it doesn't take a lot of these kind of experiences. Okay, well, point A to point B, they connect pretty easily. One time, one of our boys was going to grow um, tomatoes for transplants, and they start in small little plants and small blocks, and he forgot to water them. It doesn't take very long. Cause and effect lie pretty close in the realm of farming. Mechanics, just more life skills, construction. You can't be a farmer and not have a, or grow up on a farm 
in an agrarian life without dabbling in all of these. This is one I love and I hate. Do you have any love-hate relationships? This is something I love and I hate. A little hardship and privation is a blessing. I mean, we've had a lot of hardship and privation, but we've really had none. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's all relative. So here are some good quotes. Parents, the, and this is speaking of the Waldensian parents. Parents, tender and affectionate as they were, loved their children too wisely to accustom them to, to self-indulgence. They were educated from childhood to endure hardship, to submit to control, and yet to think and act for themselves. That is so important, to think and act for oneself. Very early, they were taught to bear responsibility. That gives you the picture that these parents were um, very proactive to discipline their children. Here's another one. This one is great. Hardship, privation, and severe discipline were the school in which infinite wisdom prepared Luther for the important mission of his life. Wow. Martin Luther. You know, hardship, privation, and severe discipline. I mean, how many in our generation have even begun to have any of that? Um, not too many of us. But here's the last one. This one is the clincher. The parents of Jesus were poor and dependent upon their daily toil. He was familiar with poverty self-denial, and privation. This experience was a safeguard to him. In his industrious life, there were no idle moments to invite temptation, <coughs> no aimless hours open, opened the way for corrupting associations. So far as possible, he closed the door of temptation. And I guess I would say this, God closed the door, his parents closed the door, um, that no aimless hours, what a safeguard. And I can say that's been a huge safeguard in our family, for our boys especially. When we started farming, we had two boys. We did not know that the Lord would multiply our tribe and, and we would end up with four boys. So this is another one. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but John, the Lord gave this thought to John. Number six. Market gardening effortlessly incorporates all eight of the health, whoop, of the laws of health, eight laws of health. So you know them. Nutrition, obvious. You can't get better nutrition than going outside and harvesting it yourself. Um, exercise, sometimes it might feel like a little too much exercise. But Mrs. White says there's no better exercise than the exercise that's done in the garden. Water. You, you got to drink it and you perspire. We were kind of perspiring here last night. I didn't know it would be so humid. I mean, this is last night sleeping in the cabin was kind of like summer at home. Um, lots of perspiration. Sunshine. Um, I know John's cousin, one that we visited, said you and here in Australia, they have the slip, slap, and slop slogan. Do you know that slogan or was that just her? I, okay, well... Where does that allow for sunshine? You know, um, we all need some good vitamin D. Um, my husband, even though he's a farmer, 
tested low for vitamin D. Um, but anyway, we understand the benefits and the, the disadvantages of sunshine. Temperance. That one's a little bit hard. Of all the, the eight laws, I would have to say temperance might be the one that you have to work at getting from, because working on a farm can be rather intemperate, you know? Just ask Rod Bailey sometime, you know? Your days can be very long. And they can seem like you are um, being totally intemperate. But the thing that, that we had going for us and that market gardening has going for it is that you're together. Okay, so when dads are intemperate with their employment, that usually takes them away from their families. But when intemperance comes to the family on a farm, it can actually really bind you together and make some really good memories. Um, so I don't know if we'd call it intemperance, but fresh air, rest. No one rests as well as the man who has labored or the woman who has labored. We actually have had experience with people who have <coughs> been on sleeping meds. I want to tell you, you can get off your sleeping meds very quickly if you just get out and work in the garden and really do physical labor, and especially in the garden. We've seen it. We've, we've seen it happen. All right, and the last one, trust in God. And for sure, trust in God uh, is easily incorporated into an agricultural life because we can do everything we know and the ultimate outcome is the Lord's doing. So, all right, number seven. This is a big one, protection from the sins of this age. Listen to this quote. I could not sleep past 2 o'clock this morning. During the night season, I was in council. I was pleading with some families to avail themselves of God's appointed means and get away from the cities to save their children. Some were loitering, making no determined efforts. And I was thinking, this... Um, Was this, yes, this one, is this the same page? This is 354. Um, I'm trying to think where I, maybe I, I was thinking that this was actually written, what years was she here in Australia? When did she leave? Well, I, um, mm. No, 90. No, I'm sorry, 1900. She was here. She was here. 81, wasn't she came in, I mean, 91 to, to Yeah, so this would have been right after, I think. Um, I urge our people to make it their life work to seek for spirituality. Now, I love to collect one-liners. That is a good one-liner. And how many of us can really say that we are making it our life work to seek spirituality? That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. Christ is at the door. This is why I say to our people, do not consider it a privation when you are called to leave the cities and move out into the country places. Here, there await rich blessings for those who will grasp them. By beholding the scenes of nature, the works of the Creator, by studying God's handiwork, imperceptibly, 
you will be changed <coughs> into the same image, imperceptibly. Wow. So, it's not a privation. Number eight. And, and let me just say, going back to the, the separation, um, I think especially for children, but not only for children, I think for parents too, we need that separation. So, this is a concept that we wished were being developed more, and that is that with an agrarian life, market gardening, you can live in the country, which we're told to do, and you can work the cities. Why is nobody saying that? This is the perfect, the perfect live in the country, work the city message. Listen to this quote. The cities are to be worked from outposts, said the messenger of God. Shall not the cities be warned? Yes, not by God's people living in them, but by their visiting them to warn them of what is coming upon the earth. Well, how are we going to visit them in a natural way? Okay, well, a lot of people do go and they hand out, you know, tracts or something. They go to the city and do city evangelism. <coughs> but I don't think that's the most effective way. It builds faith and trust. I love this picture because I, I felt like it kind of isolates a very small um, what's happening in the garden. But if we could see God's view of it, there'd be no little pinhole. He sees the big picture of why agriculture is so important. So it builds faith and trust. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? What do you think? I mean, it's, it's just a sad reality around the world. I mean, and I, I'll, I'll give you one of, my, one of my moments where I felt this, you know, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in, in the coming of the Son of Man, Matthew 24. Um, we, were, we went to Sydney, and we were there on the harbor um, on a, what do you call it, a, like a, not the ferry, but there on the boardwalk before... Under the opera house. Under the opera house, there's like a whole string of restaurants and, and bars. And, and I was standing there, and, and, and I'll be the first one to admit that probably many of those people there are from my country and they're tourists, okay? It's a grand tourist spot, so it's not about any one place. It's about our culture as a world, the world culture that we're living in. So we were standing waiting for somebody who was maybe in the restroom or something, and the noise level was so loud of people talking. And I just kind of took in the scene. I actually took a video because it was so, it was so alarming, so sad, so whatever. And again, it's not about Australia. It's about our world because we could see it in the U.S. too. It just happened to be that it was, this is a recent thing. And I just thought, Lord, you know, if someone were to come up to the plate right here in this place, everyone was drinking, everyone was talking, everyone was carrying on, and say, Jesus is coming. No one 
Would you? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, we are living in very, very sobering times. And we need to be placing ourselves in a position to grow our faith and trust in God. Because he is coming. So the spiritual lessons are so many, we can't even begin to touch them. But here's just the, some of our favorites. Faith versus works. I don't know if it's still a topic of conversation in this country, but where we come from, the, the balance between faith and works is still not sure for a lot of people. Um, salvation, is it by faith or is it by works, you know? Well, we just want to say, get in the garden, and it's so easy to figure it out there. If we don't plant the seeds, we're never going to get any fruit. If we don't water, we're never going to get a, a crop. Um, faith and works are just like a gardener, the way it works in the garden. We do our part. It's a cooperative effort. We work together. But our effort is pointless apart from God. God is love is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of springing grass. That's from Steps to Christ. Through the things of nature and the deepest and the deepest and tenderest earthly ties that human hearts can know, he has sought to reveal himself to us. This is also Steps to Christ. Isn't that interesting? So through um, the tenderest earthly human ties. What does that make you think of? What's the tenderest earthly human tie? <laughs> Newborn. I mean, it's, it's clearly the family bond. But the family bond starts right here with the husband and wife. Um, so I think that the, the bond there, the earthly tie that human heart, the, the tenderest earthly tie that human hearts can know can specifically speak to the husband-wife relationship um, and the things of nature. There are two ways that Satan has isolated us from nature and marriage is becoming so perverted. It's, Satan has made an all-out attack to keep people out of the garden and to keep people from having fulfilling, happy, God-honoring marriages. He is on a, he is a roaring, he's a roaring lion. Number 11. This is wow, we're we're speeding through. What do I have till 10:30? Wow. I'm almost done. So then we can just chat. <laughs> or John can get going early. Um, so number 11, evangelism. The world needs today what it needed 1,900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. Would you agree? That is a great, just simple, one-line thought. There is need of coming close to the people by personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. You should go and, and read the whole of that. That is an amazing... So, for us, our means of evangelism has been um, our customers. And 
this is one of my favorites. If you if you can have favorites, I mean, you shouldn't have favorites, but mm -hmm. but this young woman, I've watched her family grow from the pregnancy of her second child, and she has three little ones now. And I tell you, when I see them at market, we we meet like old friends, and. Christ's method of evangelism. I think I have that next. No, I don't. I think it must be in there. Christ's method alone. The method that says draw close. You're familiar with it? And, and then after you do all of that, then you bid come and follow me. So I'll tell you one of my come and follow me moments. I'll be the first to admit that um, it's a little bit hard for me. Um, but it's easy for me to talk about Christ. It's easy for me to share the gospel in its simplicity and to tell people that I'll be praying for them or to ask people to pray for me. Um, I always just assume that our customers and we are on the same page. You know, they might not be, but I'm just going to, you know, give the best foot forward. And sometimes in my communication with them, I'll even say, you know, would appreciate you praying for, you know, for us. You know, we are in Australia doing meetings. Wow, that's a novelty to them. They just know us as farmers, you know. Um, pray for us. And, um, but anyway, one of, one of our customers, and it wasn't this lady, um, she's been with us for many years. And this last summer, she and her husband were taking a move. And I happened, no happening, the Lord ordained that I would do that delivery, which I was not planning to do, and I did not realize it was her last delivery. And I always pray that the Lord will orchestrate and um, give opportunity for me to speak to those who really need it. And that he would keep the customers coming just in the right stream. And so she and I had this huge window of opportunity to talk and to share and to talk about the Lord. And she shared, you know, some things from her heart. And I was just telling her, I hope that you'll be able to find a good church family that you can connect with when you move. And she I said, do you go to church here? See, so I'm assuming the best already. I'm just assuming. She said, well, my husband used to be a Catholic, and I was this, and, you know, he was disillusioned with his church, and, you know, we just really have never found, we just find that nature speaks to us more than anything else. And so we spend a lot of time on Sundays with God in nature. Wow. Okay, we know that's a good thing. So anyway, we had a wonderful conversation, but I put it on my to-do list to send her the great controversy. And I didn't just send her the great controversy, I sent her our testimony <coughs> as well, our Ebenezer. Our customers have no idea what we have lived through um, on the farm. And just wrote her a note and just wished her God's blessing. I have no idea if I will ever see her again. But the farm is a wonderful evangelistic tool. And let me just back up here because I'm really talking about why families, Adventist families, should be in agriculture. And this is not, what I share is not because our family is any different than your family. 
It's that families that live together can have a power that families who are fractured just don't seem to have. And you don't even know you have that. So we had a neighbor. We didn't know them well, but they were actually meat farmers. And I don't know what brought them to our farm the first time, but all of our interaction with them happened on our turf, around our farm, around our family. And the only one conversation I remember having with this man's wife was a spiritual conversation. She was a lovely woman. I really appreciated her and um, had a good conversation with her. A few years later, we didn't have a lot of interaction, but um, tragically, that woman committed suicide. Have no idea what would have brought that on. We didn't have any contact really with her husband after that because it actually happened when we were taking a sabbatical and we were out of the country for a few months. And so I had thought, I need to reach out to him. I need to connect with him. Never did I have the opportunity. But that next summer, I was at a farmer's market, and who would come but Rod? And I just stepped around the table, and I just gave him a hug, and I just said, I just want you to know that John and I and our family have really been praying for you. Um, know what you've been through has been excruciating. And he was very just responsive and, and spoke of God's goodness through it all. And we never, never saw him again. And it's been maybe a year. It's probably been within the last year. We got a phone call, and John answered it. And he said, John, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Rod, and we used to live. And John, of course, remembered him. He said, Rod, man, we've thought of you so many times and wondered what was, you know, what's happened in your life. And he went on to tell us that he, um, he had remarried and he moved out of state. He said, but John, I, I, have, I really want to talk to you about, about the Sabbath. The Sabbath. And he said, yeah, I really want to talk to you about how you keep the Sabbath. And John said, well, man, how do you know we keep this? I mean, I don't ever remember us even talking about it. And he said to him, John... You didn't need to talk about it. Everyone knows. Everyone knows what your family stands for. I mean, we didn't say anything. We just live way out in the country. We have a community around us, but everyone knows. And he went on to, to tell John that he was attending an Adventist church. And he said, they keep trying to convince me about the Sabbath, and they don't get it. They don't, they don't get that I'm already there. I just want to know how to keep the Sabbath. And so they had, a, they had a wonderful conversation. So, you know, it's not ours to prescribe how you evangelize. I'll tell you another way that our family, we have been intentional about connecting our family to our customers. So whether that's emails telling about what's happening in the family or, you know, our family is always present at markets, and of course, this is, I mean, our kids are growing up and, you know, they're, they're, they're not far, so they're still sort of connected. But anyway, largely as our children were growing up in their late teens, and um, so when Kirsten got married, 
She was married two and a half years ago. We decided we were not going to have a spring open house, but that her wedding would be our spring open house. And we would invite neighbors, the male lady, you know, our neighbors, all of our customers. We sent a general invitation. It was an outdoor wedding, um, so there was no limitation on space. And we just prayed that the Lord would make it a witness and a testimony. And John, Kirsten had asked John to tell her story of her love story, of how she met Nick and how the Lord truly led them together. And so the whole goal was to be evangelistic through this love story. Now, evangelistic as in bringing people to Christ, helping them to connect with Christ, and to see that we do have a God, and he's a very awesome God. And so we did that. Kirsten said, if we need to not invite some friends, we'll do that. But I just want our customers to be invited. She had 450 to 500 people at her wedding. And one man who has been with us since the very beginning, since our kids were little. So, you know, almost 20 years, 18 years when Kirsten got married. He came. I know he's unchurched. He has a Jewish background. He came to the wedding, and he told me afterwards, on her anniversary, we sent out a, uh, a memory of, you know, a year ago today, we were celebrating on the farm Kirsten's wedding, and for any of those who missed it, here's a link where you can, you can watch the wedding. That man told me, you know, I was just going to just going to watch a little bit of it again at the beginning. He said, you know, I watched the whole thing. And he said, I can't believe it. I stayed up till midnight to do it. And just again, it's, is it about us? It's about our God. It's about what can happen when a family stays together and makes it their ministry to evangelize their community in a very natural way. We didn't have to. It's not, we're not out there hammering doctrine. We're out there sharing Christ in the marketplace. So, number 12, God's ideal plan. In God's plan for Israel, every family had a home on the land. With sufficient ground for tilling, thus were provided both the means and the incentive for a useful industrious and self-supporting life and no devising of men has ever improved upon that plan to the world's departure from it is owed to a large degree the poverty and wretchedness that exist today it was this quote that launched us into market gardening my husband is one um, who if he reads it's the very best, then he's going to do the very best. He's not one to settle for second best if he knows and can do what's best. And so that was definitely the launch pad for, for our family. And it's interesting, an interesting little, just a side note, I, um, I, there were people who were concerned about our children as they got into their teens and their 20s. Number one, 
what they would be doing for a life work, and number two, how they would ever get married, you know, because you're way out in the sticks. Who's ever going to find you or how are you ever going to meet anyone? And um, it's amazing to us in the circles we travel how many, how many young adults there are in their late 20s who are still unmarried. Um, but our first three are, our first one's gone and our second two are soon to go. And um, at fairly young ages for where we come from. So it's an ideal plan and it's not one that we are at all hindered by. So whether it's farming or another occupation, we feel like it should be healthy spiritually. That's the first thing. When you are looking for occupation, young people, I'd love to see some young people here. Make sure that your occupation is healthy spiritually. Make sure it's healthy physically. Healthy mentally and emotionally. You know, we are suffering from a lot of emotional poverty in the world that we're living in today. Healthy socially. Ah, the farm is a hub of activity. Healthy morally. It's pretty hard in the world we live to be healthy morally. Um, even the farm doesn't, isn't a perfect shield because now you can have it right in your pocket. It goes everywhere with you and immorality abounds. But as much as possible, make sure that your employment puts you in a morally healthful environment. And most of all, make sure that your occupation mo is motivated by a longing to bring people to Christ. So we believe market gardening is a perfect fit. Um, but we understand it's not for everyone. God's not calling all to be market gardeners. He needs other occupations too. But could it be that he's calling you? So, I sped through, and we're done early, so we can have time for questions. John can get plunged right into the next. I want to just make a few comments. Is He'll this, fix are, are we, is this on? I, should it, I have been it will using pick it? up over here. Is that? Okay. Well, I didn't realize it. So, my wife did a wonderful job there. Um, just just a few things I wanted to emphasize. Number one, you know, I think all you wives, um, you, couldn't, you couldn't want anything better for your husbands than to have them out in nature, surrounded by the things of God. You know, we believe the devil... Well, we know the devil is after everybody, but I think he's particularly attacking men. Because men are to be the head of the house. Men are to be, you know, God's representative in their families. <clears throat> and he's doing a masterful job at attacking men from every angle. And like my wife said, even the farm nowadays is not off limits. But the beauty of farming is 
you're not on the computer. I mean, yeah, you may have to send emails and stuff, but the vast majority of it is not on the computer. It's like I said, it's surrounded by the things of God. What man has, I mean, what God has created. Most jobs, you're surrounded by what man has created. And by beholding, we become changed. So, um, obviously, you women, you can't, you can't convince your husband that that's the right thing to do. It's got to be his conviction. But you can be praying for it. Um, you know, I, I can't think of a healthier occupation. So I wanted to say that. Um, <clears throat> talking about working the cities from country outposts, I like to say, you know, our customers pay us to evangelize them. It's amazing. You know, we get paid to work the cities from country outposts. You know, this is true self-supporting missionary work. You know, we, we use that term a lot, but the reality is most self-supporting missions are really donation-supported, right? There's very few that are truly self-supporting. This is an amazing way to actually support yourself while doing evangelism. And... Um, there is something about food that bonds you to people. We read a bit book not too long ago that brought this point out, and it really hit us in a, in a deeper way. Um, God has created us to bond with those who feed us. And you see that most easily illustrated in the mother-child relationship, the bond that comes from breastfeeding, but, I mean, who really feeds us? God, and, and he wants us to understand that, and that's a bond. We, we have gratefulness and thankfulness, and what we can say is that that bond grows with your customers, and it's truly amazing how much they'll open up and share you know, they trust us. If you can't trust who's growing your food, I mean, you know, that's, that's the most basic part of living. And so they're really trusting us. And so many of our, our customers, you know, the very first solid food that their children ate was from our farm. Um, that, that's, very, that's very moving to us. Uh, and, and the bond that is formed, you know, at the end of the season, Pam has had customers just break down and cry and say, you know, what are we going to do till next spring? You know, how, how, where are we going to get our food? You know, they're, they're just tied. And, and it's, it's really, really special. It's hard to put into words, but... Um, it's just so basic to humanity, feeding. Um, well, and to us, evangelizing is simply making friendships. If you think of evangelism as making friends, well, that's what we love to do. We love to do it, and I think God has gifted us with the ability to connect with people. And so then they connect with us. 
So it's ours to plant the seed, it's God's to bring the fruit. And that's not saying that we're doing all that we should be doing, you know. We, we talk about it regularly that we should be more, I think the computer is here. We should be more bold in our evangelism. Um, we're trying to walk that line, you know, because many of our customers aren't even Christians. You know, it's kind of goes along, you know, the whole organic movement kind of goes along with the New Age movement and, and a lot of this. So we, we're trying to, to share Christ without turning people off. Anyway, <clears throat> my wife has to rush to another um, seminar. She's got three in a row here. But any questions on any of this? Does that make sense? Did we convince anybody? Or, or were you already convinced? Um, can, can I just ask how far away you live from where your market is? Good question. And, and actually, we're going to talk more about that in a couple seminars, but just repeating, the, the question is how far do we live from our markets? Our main market is in Nashville, which is right at an hour's drive, which we think is, is ideal. We wouldn't want it to be much farther, but we wouldn't want to be much closer to the city either. So that is pretty ideal. Some of our markets actually are closer. Um, we do deliveries to a town that's half, I mean, there aren't any towns closer than half an hour from us. Um, so we do some there, and then another town that's bigger is three quarters of an hour. But that's where we are, and we feel like the Lord put us in an ideal location for that. Again, we're not saying that everybody should do this. But we are convinced that more Adventists should be doing it. And we're convinced that it's a tremendous um, way to witness, tremendous life. But I do, you know, I, I want to be realistic and, and emphasize that this, it'll be the hardest thing you've ever done. You just have to prepare for trials and hardship if you want to go into this. And I'll tell you why. Um, it's so obvious, but yet it took me a long time to figure it out. I was just wrestling with the Lord, you know, in our early years because it seemed like everything we did failed. And it was just so hard. And um, so I was just saying, Lord, we know you called us to this, but why is it so hard? It seems like everything we do just is not working. And it just hit me that, um, of course it's going to be hard. Because this is God's plan. God, God created us to live and work in a garden. So if that's God's ideal... What's the devil going to do? It's his goal to keep us out of the garden. It's his goal to keep us off the farm because he knows 
what it will do for us. And so he's going to make it as absolutely miserable as it can be. Um, and it's going to be as hard as it can be. When I say miserable, I don't want it to sound like um, you get up in the morning and um, it's hard to go outside because it's never that way. But there's some days it just seems like one trial after another. But now we can look at it and say, okay, well, this is this is because we're doing the right thing and the devil doesn't like it. So it's going to be hard, no question. Any other questions? <clears throat> if not, we'll give you a little extra. This is kind of a brutal schedule here. <laughs> so we'll give you five extra minutes. I think if... Okay, funding to get going. That's that's a really good question, and I need to to make a, a list of questions because anything we're not going to cover directly in our talks over the next couple days. Our last one I've kind of left open, so there's time for question and answers, and also time to try to touch on some of those areas that I may not have in my talks. So that's a good one that it would be nice if Rod Bailey could be here for because he will. I, unfortunately, I am not as familiar with Australia as I wish I was. So I can tell you, you know, funding channels that we have used, uh, but I don't know how it compares to Australia here. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.